Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. I interview entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you get past your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to join my community. You can become a fan of the show on my website at winnieanderson.com slash fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you consistently move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity, so you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are, and ultimately profit from your expertise and build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. I know you have a big heart, a big mission, and a drive to serve. I also know how important it is to structure your business in a way that supports you while serving others. While you might not be thinking about starting a nonprofit, there are many lessons to be learned in this episode by hearing about the ups and downs of launching one, since my guest says it's really just another form of business. This episode is a little, has a little longer set of application exercises, which I'll explain at the end of the interview. In this episode, you'll meet Dr. Monique Y. Wells, who is the founder of Wells International Foundation. Monique is a native of Houston, Texas, and a resident of Paris, France. She's a veterinary pathologist, a toxicologist, a world traveler, serial entrepreneur, and arts enthusiast. Her dedication to empowering minorities, women, and young people led her to launch her foundation in 2015 and is the driving force behind its mission. Listen in as Monique and I discuss why she decided to reorganize her entrepreneurial activities under the business model of a nonprofit, how she got the foundation off the ground and the hardest part of doing that. The difference between a nonprofit, not-for-profit, and a for-profit business and the similarities, things that surprised her about starting and running a foundation, what we both wish others knew about foundations and nonprofits, and the single thing she's most proud of since starting her foundation. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your reflection exercise and action step for this episode. One last thing, in the interest of full disclosure, I was a founding member of Monique's board and have finished my term. All right, so welcome, Monique. I'm so glad you could join me today. We're just going to talk right in. I'm you too. It's fabulous. I know. And Monique, as, as I mentioned in the, in the uh, introduction, we're talking via you know the magic of technology. We met online, and uh, here we are. She, I'm in New York. She's in Paris. So uh, we're going to go ahead and dive in. So you have been on your own as an independent professional I know for a lot of years mm -hmm. in addition to your work you support your husband you have travel and planning business right discover Paris you recently launched a foundation 
And in interest of full disclosure, of course, I was a founding member of the organization's board of directors. But let's talk a little bit about the background of the organization and what really led you to start a nonprofit. Well, um, so I'll give you a sort of an intermediately long version. <laughs> the Reader's Digest. Yeah, because all of my stories are always long. Um, okay, so it was that it was in 2012 when I was in San Francisco. I was given an award by an organization called Professional um, Powerful Women International, rather, and another woman was given a, a, an award that same time. And we all had dinner together that night. And this woman, her name is Sharita Herring, and she was going on and on and on about just how wonderful the nonprofit industry was and how anything that you can conceive of, you can get a grant for it and all of this and that. And she just filled our, our minds with all kinds of stories and possibilities for nonprofit. And I thought to myself, you know, this really sounds like almost, you know, too good to be true. And I said to myself, but, you know, she is obviously convinced and, and she seems to be well-grounded otherwise. I mean, I don't think she's crazy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said to myself, I'm going to keep this idea in the back of my head. Now, fast forward to 2015, when I am putting together an art exhibition for an artist whose work I've come to love and whose life I, I came to, to love and be very involved in, uh, a deceased artist, I should say, so not involved in his life, but involved in letting people know about his life as part of what I do with Discover Paris with my husband. And we're doing this art exhibition, and um, I realized that you know, we need big bucks. And... I have no way of get, getting the money. And I thought to myself, okay, nonprofit. Nonprofits can apply for grants and this and that. So I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I called up Sharita. She's like, okay, yes, I can help you, and I can get you on track to get a nonprofit um, uh, approved by the IRS in record time. And that's exactly what she did. I mean, and I can't remember now if it was, we did a little sort of mini training about what a nonprofit is and all the types of things that the government will expect if you file. And then, and you know, the bylaws and the board members and all of that stuff, just a sort of like a crash course. And then she um, helped me fill out my application and we applied and we were approved in record time. I mean, it was, it was less than 20 days. And that is, it is almost unheard of, truly. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's part of the benefit of working with somebody who really is an experienced expert who's walked that path that you want to go and is willing then to teach other people how to get around the potholes and obstacles. And I know I've worked in the nonprofit world and it, it can be frustrating in many ways, even for an established nonprofit. And I worked for a local chapter of the American Red Cross. You know, you apply for grants, and if you don't have a comma in the right spot, it feels like sometimes, oh, well, you're out, you know. And know. so, yes, it can be very, very nerve-wracking. Mm -hmm. So that art exhibition was just really the tip of the iceberg then, right, as you started to look at, I could do my entire business, I could change the model. 
and make it truly a nonprofit model. Yeah, it's true. And I was thrilled to realize that during this sort of crash course training that I could put all of my professional and personal passions into this nonprofit and have them be under that one umbrella and just have all kinds of, of opportunities open up because of the nonprofit status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is, I think, an interesting model to pursue and an interesting thing to consider. Um, so would you say then that anybody who is really going to consider doing this should work with a professional or do you think it's the kind of thing that there's enough training out there that somebody could investigate on their own and take action on it? Well, you could do either now. Okay. And, and we know from the entrepreneurial standpoint that there are a lot of people who have this entrepreneurial spirit and an entrepreneurial idea and they go forward by themselves and they try to make it work. And there is truly nothing wrong with that if you have a lot of patience and if you have, and if you're not needing income right away, all right? right. right. Um, it's, I, from, from experience, um, and I was gonna say from bitter experience, but uh, there's some bitterness in there, but, but mostly, you know, just from, it's the school of hard knocks. It's gonna be hard one way or the other, but it's always easier if you can partner with somebody in the first instance, by partner, I mean somebody who can be your mentor or somebody who can be your coach or somebody who can, you know, whatever, your consultant who will do this for you so that you minimize all of that because it's going to be stressful, clearly. Right. But you want to you want to take the path of least resistance. And often that means walking down the path that someone else has already tread. Maybe, you know, you're not 100 percent that path, but at least for the the logistics and all that kind of thing, go with some, you know, find somebody who's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, and I can amen that. And if I had one thing to do differently, it would be to not be such a hard head and not be so determined to do it myself that I, I've wasted so much money um, because i spent money that I didn't need to or I did something before I was ready to and yeah very very frustrating so you ended up funding that exhibit through donations then and grants that you received well we actually didn't get any grants but we did apply for them we wouldn't have even had the opportunity to apply for grants if we hadn't had the nonprofit but so we funded it um, between corporate sponsors and private donations we funded that exhibition and we funded it in record time yeah it was just amazing yeah I would agree with you I I remember being, you know, going through that and, and thinking that it was incredible that you were able to do so much so fast. And, and it was a really well-received event. It was not like, you know, I've got a couple of pictures hanging in my garage. Come take a look at them. It was a, it was a really well-done first-class kind of art exhibit. It really so, was. It yeah, really so it really was an exciting way to, to kick off your your foundation. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts? I know one thing that 
people tend to ask a lot is what's the difference between a nonprofit and a not-for-profit? Can you explain the difference and, and tell us exactly what yours is? Okay. Well, first of all, it depends on who you ask. Okay. If there's, if there's a difference between a nonprofit and a not-for-profit. Um, there are some people who will tell you, oh, there's no difference. It's just the semantics. It, de it depends on what perspective you're asking from also. Okay. Um, because, you know, a non-profit, a, non a not-for-profit rather, can be considered an umbrella term for all kinds of non-profit organizations. Mine is a foundation, but it's not a foundation that gives money. It's a foundation that asks for money. There are foundations that all they do is give money. So I would be applying to a foundation to get a grant and they, that's their business. They just give money out depending on who they want to support. You can go from that to an NGO like Amnesty International. That's a not-for-profit too, you know. So there are all kinds of, of iterations of what a nonprofit or not-for-profit is. But the, the bottom line is that none of these organizations is out to make money for personal gain. They, the money that they use is to be put back into that organization to benefit the mission. Right, right. And that does not mean that money is not needed or spent on administrative items. Exactly. I know that donors, especially we're talking right now, there have just been, you know, and I, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm sure there are always going to be, you know, recent disasters. And from natural disasters involving storms to man-made disasters, if you will, a fire or something really horrible like that. And there are organizations that that is their job to respond to those emergencies. And I'm thinking about the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or uh, Samaritan's Purse is another one. Those organizations require people to run them, and they require buildings sometimes and stuff, stuff to run. So I know when I was at the Red Cross, people would um, often say, you know, now I don't want any of this money to go to administrative fees. And, of course, that meant then, all right, we will try our best, but it takes people who need to be compensated. Not everything can be done by volunteers. Yeah. And even then there are expenses associated with the volunteers that you yeah money is what makes the world go around i i know that i couldn't feed the first responders this is the job of the red cross uh, one of their many jobs i we would feed the first responders at mm -hmm. a disaster well that requires a physical truck a food truck a very specific truck it's not cheap then that requires food. You can't get it all donated. You, sometimes you got to buy napkins. I mean, so so to have you thinking that, well, I don't want to give my money to an organization that that spends it on administrative expenses. It's not really, uh, I think, a, a well-informed statement. Now you do want to give to organizations that use your money wisely and don't have a giant percentage right of their expenses to go to administrative fees so i'll get off my high, my high horse on that one but i think it's something that especially at a time when a big disaster is in the news it's something that comes up and 
I can appreciate that it's a concern, but you need to also blend it with reality that it you've got to fund the organization. For sure. For yeah. sure. And that is really our primary challenge. Yeah, yeah, because you're an administrative entity, really. And, you know, it's not like the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or Samaritan's Purse, where you can see them handing out food. You yeah. know, you, you can see them with cots, but you know what? If you can't get the cots donated, you got to buy them. So same thing. Yeah, please keep that in mind that every organization needs people. Every organization needs the supplies and need to be able to fulfill its mission. Exactly. But I, I, you know, I want to mention one thing that um, you don't have to necessarily be an obvious charity, let's put it that way, to be a nonprofit or not-for-profit. When I and I'm just thinking about this while while I'm listening to you talk. When I was in grad school, one of the courses I took was a career development course. I took it because oh, this will be easy. This is what I do in my job. I can just you know get the EVA right. So I'm in I'm in this class, and it was one of my ended up being one of my favorite professors. And she ran her business was organized as a nonprofit. Okay. She she ran a career coaching company but it was organized as a nonprofit she did training she did individual counseling she had a large staff but it was a nonprofit so as you're listening to this yeah I just think that's really interesting as you're listening to this it it's a business model first of all so is this model right for you and of course we're not lawyers or tax advisor so check with your own folks but it is it is something to think about especially when um, when you decide I don't have to do the what everybody else does you can do right. it so let's talk then about and, and we'll go into more detail about exactly what your organization does but what are some things that surprised you about starting and running a nonprofit. First of all, was it as you know, as full of rainbows and unicorns as that person made it out to be, or, or is there always? Well, they left the devil to the details, right? I, I know why. Definitely left the devil to the. Oh <laughs> I knew she answered that, but really, <laughs> until I had to ask. <laughs> all right. Well, let, well, the first thing is that a nonprofit is a business just like any other business. Amen. You must, you must, you must understand that. If you're thinking of doing a nonprofit because you don't want to quote unquote run a business, forget it. Right. It is the same thing. It is. 100% the same thing. You have a mission, which means that you are either, you're providing a service generally, you're providing a service, you might have to, you know, create some product to, to, to provide that service, but you provide a service. Every business provides something. You need somebody who needs that service, so you have to find out where they are. You have to get your word out to them that you provide this service, and you have to convince them that, you know, they want to use your service. Because if you can't supply anybody anything, there's no point in having a nonprofit. And you have to have the money to do all of that. Okay. That is what a business is, period. Yeah. You so I hope I've shattered any illusions that anybody might have. <laughs> this is this is the rubber hitting the road, people. It's a it, business. It, it, amen. I mean, I'm just so glad to hear you say that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you need revenue. 
Nonprofits need revenue, whether it comes in the form of donations, whether it comes in the form of recurring donations, or as in the case of, the, of my chapter, the Red Cross, many was the day when I'm going to get choked up. Something would happen, and a little old lady would walk in, right, with a jar, literally a jar of coins sometimes. Oh, Jesus. And you're like, you should keep this, okay? So, yeah, you you need revenue. And, again, that requires the expense of promoting the organization, staying in the public's eye if that's your primary donation stream. So it does take understanding who your donor is or your revenue source, communicating to them. And then there's the whole, you know, dealing with the government. and And if you go for grants, and we did too, how do you do that? And that is a specialty. As I think you found out, getting grants is a, a unique specialty. It requires somebody who is a unique style of writer. Yeah. And every grant, every foundation or organization that you apply for has, of course, the rules, which mm-hmm. some of them are incredibly narrow, yes. right? This yeah. is for people who were born on a Tuesday under a full moon. And, you know, but that's the nature of why those organizations exist. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, think about, I always equate this to when we're at a graduation ceremony and someone receives an award, a, sco- a scholarship, right? I think I, I won like $150 worth of scholarship money at high school. And, and But it was all these little pieces from organizations who wanted to support boys or girls who were, who fit a certain category. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. And they can make it as unusual as they want. So, because they've got the money. Exactly. So, let's then look at what are some things, you know, now that you're, as we as we talk, you've just celebrated your two-year anniversary, right? Yes. Which really is a tremendous thing to celebrate, and it, that really is wonderful when you think about organizations come and go and collapse. So looking back now, what are some things that you think you wish you had done differently or could have done differently when you when you started? Well, first of all, I wish that I had had a, instead of a crash course in starting a nonprofit, I wish I had had, you know, a fuller course. Okay. okay? Because in a crash course, you can only do so much. Right. And one of the things, and, and the focus really was getting the organization started. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was focused a lot more on what needs to go into that application so that the, the IRS will say this is not some kind of fly-by-night thing. Um, That was really the focus of that course. What I wish I had done was had a larger view about what happens the minute that the 501c3 is approved. What do you need to be focused on? We were focused on getting the art exhibition funded. So it was a very, very narrow focus. It was important. It was urgent. It was truly urgent. Okay. But what I didn't realize, is, and we threw ourselves into that, and we were successful, mm-hmm. and it was, it was remarkable. And so then you've got that momentum going, so you realize, okay, all the money that we raised has been spent, and we have zero money for anything else. Right. So we immediately did a crowdfunding campaign, and that was also like trial by fire. 
and I hired a coach, crowdfunding coach, and we knocked that one out of the park. It was fantastic. But again, only for that thing. And so then it's like, oh, we're almost a year old and we have no, you know, we, we have no plan for bringing in money. We have no, <laughs> we have, yeah. and, and it was, it was almost a year when I woke up and smelled the coffee and it was like, oh, well, if this organization is going to do anything in the future, even in the near future, right. we need to, we need to look at our infrastructure. We had a very small board. Mm-hmm. The board was great. Um, but it was not the board that was going to take us forward into the future. We needed to bring more people on. You know, what does board recruitment mean? That was, that's a whole thing in and of itself, you know, and, and all of these things, all of these different pots where I had to focus my attention almost simultaneously and say, oh, we're deficient here. We're deficient here. We're deficient here. And what are we going to do to fill these gaps? That should have been done before the 501c3 was even requested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's an interesting point. And in listening to you recount that, it makes me think so much about starting any kind of business, especially a solo practice, whatever that practice is. So we know how easy it is to land a big fish client, right? And to work so intently on that project that then when you look up, you go, wait a minute, what am I going to do now? And and then you play catch up. And I think that's really what you just kind of described. I know one year early on in my independent life, not too long after my accident, actually, which was really painful then, uh, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, I had a big contract with a governmental agency who shall remain nameless. Mm-hmm. And it was it was plenty big I could have eaten off of it I mean it was you know uh, it was a salary basically Mm -hmm. and then the contract ended abruptly as government contracts can and then I'm like well what am I gonna do now so yeah that is something that you really discover the hard way sometimes that you've got to have these two eyes that are operating independently with one on the future (laughs) and one on the now and that's where some of that chaos can feel like it's coming from is that I'm, I've got to do some, I've got so many balls in the air at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, you did do an, an incredibly amazing experience. So what are the things that you wish other people knew about nonprofits? I, I think you've already shared some of them, like money doesn't rain down from trees. so. There's one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, here's something that will also sort of make you sit up and take notice. If you are planning to start a nonprofit and you believe that you're going to be uh, writing grants all the time and, and just getting all of this grant money. I had a nonprofit professional uh, tell me just the other day that she's, she's been out of the business for a while. But she said when she was in it full time, and it, it burnt her out. She was a grant writer. That's what, what she did. She said that um, the, the, the company that she worked for and her, her department uh, that, that wrote the grants for this company that she worked for had a 14% success rate. And she said that was double the average. I was just going to say that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And if I had known that 
going into setting up a nonprofit because, you know, we we said we need this nonprofit because we want to write a grant to get this art exhibition funded. And, you know, we had the names of two, how naive is that, two foundations that would support art projects. And we didn't get a, a grant from either of them. But had I known that our chances were so slim, you know, I wouldn't even have spent the time. To do yeah. truly, truly, yeah. we could have we could have spent that time because we were waiting for them to respond, and we weren't doing anything because we were like, oh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna fund us, and just dumb. I mean, I'm just, gonna think positively, yeah. and I'm gonna right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, think positively, but 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 have some kind of basis in reality, also. <laughs> you know, right? And um, so your your funding. You just have to understand that you are going to have to work every, for every dollar that you bring in or every euro or whatever it is that you're trying to bring in. You're going to have to work for that just as hard as you would for a for-profit business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is a great point. So anyone who thinks that this is the path to easy money for running your business and, and indulging in your, your dreams – I have some lovely land to sell you. <laughs> it's just, it's never, never is as rosy as people tend to make it out to be. So would you say then, has that been what's been part of the hardest part of getting your foundation off the ground, do you think? The revenue itself? Yeah. And, and, you know, so, so how do you define getting it off the ground? So you, you established a nonprofit, that part, the, the actual getting the approval, mm -hmm. you know, as I said earlier, we were approved in record time. The average time for approval is between one and two years. All right. That's so, insane. Yes. And the reason is because people don't understand the application process. Right. So, you know, in, in, a, in a sense, not even in a sense, we did the right thing in getting the coaching mm -hmm. to get that get the nonprofit started. That was the starting. Right. Now the keeping it going, I think is more what you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean I can I can wake up in the morning and go, I think I'm gonna start a business. And I can go to the bank and say, I'm gonna name my account this. And you got a business. Well that's you know, if that's off the ground, you're you're there, yeah. but yeah. yeah, wow, it's you got to keep it going. You got to keep it going. You have to have <clears throat> you have to have a future vision, like you said, one eye on the future, one eye right here, and you need to surround yourself with people who know what they're doing and who are willing to help you. And you have to also decide that most of those people are going to need to be paid. Yeah, yeah, I I, th I think if it was another what. What do I wish people knew? There's this fantasy that you can just do, you just use interns. I hear that. People tell me that, you know, when I'm, I'm busy about something, just get an intern. Mm. Why, why didn't I think of that? Thanks, Mr. Obvious. I mean, <laughs> first of all, just get an intern. They're not lined up down my street. Exactly. Right. So, hmm, where's the best place to get interns? 
Then there is the whole issue of what do I need them to do? How do I select them? How do I, how do I manage them? How do I make sure they have a great learning experience? And interns, shocker, expect to be paid. There's yeah. been all of this backlash on, on this free work, right, from, with, with interns. So it is nothing is ever as simple as just go get an intern or anything yeah. else that people paint it to be. You know, one thing I want to throw out here is my great, great friend, Lisa Roberts of BusinessRx, uh, BusinessRxAdvisors.com, brilliant, brilliant operations mind. And one of the things that she loves to do and specializes in is helping people create business plans. Mm -hmm. And she gets so frustrated because people come and they can't answer the questions that she asks them. So that tells you you need to go back to your, you know, your lounge chair and your cocktail and do some deep thinking about what is this organization all about? Where, what's my vision for the future? Mm-hmm. Who's it going to impact? And, I mean, really approach it from a business mindset. I know you have a big heart, and we all want to change the world. It takes money and, and people, and it's an it's a business, and anything is a business, whether it's a for-profit or not for-profit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this woman was going to start a nonprofit and association. Okay. Why should people join your association over so many other organizations? Why, you know, how are you going to maintain it? How are you going to get these? So, yeah, yeah it's a business yeah. like any other. Yeah. And already at two years, I am looking at, um, it's coming to my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, my um, my frame of, of of reference that I need to be thinking about a succession plan. Yeah, you do. I, I really do already um, because we have we have gained a lot of traction. We have done some absolutely phenomenal things in two yeah. years. Yeah, and I cannot bear to see that just fall flat. You know. Um, we need all of those other things that we've talked about. We need to build the board. We need to get uh, identify regular streams of revenue, and we need to figure out what will happen when Monique Y. Wells, who is the founder of the Wells International Foundation, has to go away for some reason. Um, right. You know, and I, I can't say that. I have had a lot of time to think about how that's going to happen. I think before I can think about a succession plan, I have to do the other things that I've mentioned. I have to build a board. I have to do all of that before I can think about a succession. If I don't build that board, there won't be anything to to leave to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, but, I, think, I have to think about that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I I agree with you. We've we've talked before. I I do think that a succession plan is an interesting way to a thing to think about, and it can also be a little bit scary, right? Well, why wouldn't I be around? Well, maybe your interests change. Maybe you win the lottery. Maybe you get snatched by aliens. Who, who knows what's <laughs> going to happen to you, right? So uh, you do, if you really want to keep this organization moving forward, any organization, right? I'm just mm-hmm. talking in general. You, mm-hmm. you need to plan for that growth. And I think, again, that relates to any of us who are building an organization. And you need to think, we call it an HR bench strength. 
and you, you need to really think about that. Um, you're, you are impacting the lives of other people. And how will your organization continue to do that if you were missing for some reason? Yeah. Um, and, and it does come, become more clear once you've gotten off the ground as you have. So I think that now is the time for you to start thinking about that and putting all of those procedures in place and things like that. Because that also increases people, people's confidence in giving you money. Yeah. Right. This is a real yes. organization. Um, and I know there are, you know, there are partners who might say, you're too small. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to give to somebody who's bigger. Jill Conrath, who's, a, I think, a New York Times bestselling author two or three times over. She is a, a sales coach and trainer. And she tells an interesting story of how she applied for a, you know, she put in a proposal. She has an organization as people who work for her, but she didn't get it. She was really disappointed, felt like she had a good relationship with the, her contact there. So she said, hey, can you tell me why I didn't get this? And the guy said, yeah, we decided that you're too small. You were going to do all the training. Yeah. And he said, I hate to be this crude, but we couldn't put our business's future in the hands of somebody who could get hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah. So you really do need to think about that. And we all need to think about that. You know, what happens to my existing clients if the worst happens? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I'll include in the show notes, I did an interview actually with somebody whose business partner died. Oh. So this was his business partner and his best friend. <clears throat> and, you know, not that we're not all sympathetic when he died, but, hey, I got a project here. I hired yeah. you people. So he got a crash course, unfortunately, in what he really needed to think about. So I'll get off my soapbox on that one but I think that the thread going through here is there's a heck of a lot of planning that needs to get done a heck of a lot of it for sure so now let's uh let's give some kudos time to you tell me about what you think that you is the thing that you are most proud of in the two years that you've had the organization off the ground oh <clears throat> Well, it, it really has to be just from sheer numbers. <clears throat> it has to be the inaugural event, which took place um, in Paris in February, March 2016. That art exhibition that we've been alluding to um, earlier in our conversation. First of all, I should say that the Wells International Foundation, or WIF for short, has six strategic focus areas. And we combined three of our six strategic focus areas in that exhibition. So we combined the arts, which obviously is was the art and the artist himself. We combined uh, the arts with STEAM education. STEAM, for those of you who don't know, is science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. And um, there's been recently, when I say recently, the past few years, a movement from STEM 
STEM to STEAM, so incorporating art into the teaching of science, technology, <clears throat> engineering, and math. And so we, we had that component, and we also had, <clears throat> excuse me, a travel study abroad component, which is a third SFA or WIF. So we, we, in the inaugural event, we, we sort of touched on, in, in a very big way, I don't mean to minimize it at all, three of our six strategic focus areas. Out of that art exhibition, no fewer than 10 different projects have emerged. Our first um, summer internship in Paris came directly from that art exhibition. So we had the, the exhibition finished in March. We had our first intern in July of 2016. This year we had three interns um, over the summer. And next year we're looking at establishing a dedicated uh, internship for the University of Arizona because those first students who came over for the art exhibition were from the University of Arizona. We've done projects with the University of Arizona since then, and we're now working on establishing a dedicated U of A with internship beginning in 2018. We have, um, there is about the artist himself, we want to take the art exhibition that was held here to the United States. That is a humongous project. Yes. Humongous. I cannot stress how big and how nerve-wracking and how slowly that is going forward, but it is going forward. We have an opera being written about the artist. We have a play being written about the artist. We have study abroad, um, just individual trips, two individual study abroad courses that came to Paris to look at this artist. We have a, a collaboration brewing between Paris elementary schools and elementary schools in Knoxville, Tennessee, the hometown of the artist, all because of this exhibition. I could go on. I mean, it's just, it's the, it's the, it's the equivalent of a positive mushroom cloud. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? It is just fantastic. The energy is overwhelming. Yeah. And we got to keep, we have to keep ourselves going so that all of this stuff can, can come to fruition. And then each one of those I'm sure will lead to something else. And it's just, it's spiraling. It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 It really is fantastic. And we'll have links to uh, Monique's website for the foundation as, and any information that she has about the exhibit and, uh, and the artists. It's Beaufort Delaney, right? Did Buford. I say Beaufort Delaney? Well, yeah. Well, people say it differently. People in Knoxville say Buford. Okay. People in France say Beaufort. Um, you know, you, you get it. Yeah, so it's a regional pronunciation, but yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have some information about him and his life as as well. So, any any final tips for people who are maybe, wow, I never thought about organizing a nonprofit, or I've always had this little fantasy. Any tips for folks who are thinking about starting one? All I can say is do your homework. Don't be in a rush. Do your homework. Get your ducks in a row. If you want to launch a nonprofit, be sure that you build an effective board before you launch. And your board characteristics need to be based upon what you want to accomplish in your organization, not just a few friends that you gather together just so that you can check a box for the IRS. 
your your board needs to have skills your board needs to have obviously they need to support you and they need to believe in what it is that you do um, and your board needs to have resources right. to bring to your organization yeah yeah really really well said and I think that the big big issue here is you need to match your heart with your head because you're running a business whether you want to think about it that way or not it is mm -hmm. and uh, and it requires some unique focus on op some operational things that maybe you thought oh I don't have to consider because I'm only organizing a nonprofit here mm -hmm. yeah only and nonprofit don't go together no they don't no they don't no, Monique, thank you so much for spending some time with me this morning and uh, love sharing this information and getting the word out about your, your foundation as well. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Winnie. I just love talking about it and I love, I love you and I, <laughs> and I love helping people. Anything that I can do to help people, you know, just make life a little bit easier for themselves. I'm all about the path of least resistance. And just, you know, if I can be a part of somebody's path of least resistance, I'm happy. Thanks again. All right. I hope you found all that useful and interesting. If you liked this episode, I hope you'll share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you've consumed it. And be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform like iTunes or iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on YouTube as well as subscribing on my website at winnieanderson.com fans. When you subscribe there, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you profit from your expertise to, by positioning and pre-selling yourself as the unique trusted advisor you are. All right, let's talk about the big takeaways for this episode. There are three key points that I think are important to consider here. First of all, don't be in a hurry. All sorts of shortcuts and compromises have to be made when we rush, and while everything ended well for Monique, for the art exhibition, and, and ultimately for her foundation, rushing caused her to focus on just getting things done, and she ended up having to work probably twice as hard as she probably needed to in those first two years of her getting her organization off the ground. Number two, business model. Organizing a business as a nonprofit is a business model decision. It's not a decision to be made lightly. No business model is. One of the dirty little secrets of building a service-based practice like a coaching, consulting, or other service business is that your business model is an incredibly important decision to make because it dictates how you're going to make money. And that business model decision dictates the sub-models that end up coming under that umbrella. So if you pick the wrong model, you can end up with a business you hate or that you struggle to make work because it just doesn't fit your personality and your goals. So your own personality along with what you're willing and not willing to do to grow that business are important factors that need to be considered and most of us just don't think about them. Number three. There are sub-models, as I mentioned, and frameworks underneath the general umbrella of business model. These guide you in making decisions. 
And unless we're super self-aware and take the time to really think through what we want to build before we start building, we can wind up creating something that doesn't fit with who we are and what we ultimately want. So while you might be building a coaching or consulting practice and there are sort of standard components of those models, you don't necessarily have to follow them. For example, a standard component of a consulting practice model is submitting proposals. I absolutely hate it. I hate it so much that I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. That got me thinking about the business model that I was building, and it was the first step to changing that model and to focus on building what is really referred to as an expert brand model. Now, okay. So sorry about that lecture, but I felt that really highlighting those key takeaways was super important for you. I didn't want you to just dismiss this episode as something that doesn't apply to you because, hey, you're not starting a nonprofit. So your reflection exercise. I want you to think about your business model and the sub-models and frameworks that support it. You're not broken. Okay, I want, I want to be clear on that. You are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. However, there could be a lot wrong with your business model. So if something's not working and you're struggling to build the thriving business that you want, you've got to figure out what's wrong, what's going on here, and I'm going to bet, like I said, that there's something wrong with your model or one or more frameworks. They could very well be in conflict with some element of your personality. All right, now for your action step. This is actually going to involve a couple of steps. First of all, I want you to identify what's working and not working in the business. Know that human nature is such that we're going to spend more time on stuff we're good at and that, you know, that we really love doing and that fits with our personality. So if you love serving clients, of course you do, but you hate getting them, of course you do, then you know, if that has led you to the point where you struggle to get clients, then it's time to rethink your business model and the sub-model of your marketing and sales process. And that means looking at the framework that's underneath that. So make some notes about what's working and what isn't. Then make some notes about what you wish your business was like. That's going to give you some clues about your business model problems and what changes that you likely need to make to that model. Then I want you to think about the successful people that you really admire and who have similar businesses that you would like to build and then start studying how they make their money and how they do their marketing, how they do their sales. So for me, I looked at people like Wayne Dyer, Jack Canfield, Leah Buscalia, Michael Hyatt, and Pam Hendrickson. They're all people whose messages I admire who I admire themselves and whose businesses I admire. That's when I realized that I wanted the sort of expert brand that was built on teaching, publishing, and coaching. I wanted a sort of hybrid model. And once I could recognize it, then I could start concretely identifying what I needed to do to create that. I hope that was enough to get you started on this. I think it's incredibly important especially for those of us who truly hate sales and who aren't crazy about marketing, but who have a big message and a big impact that we want to make.
Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Courageous Entrepreneur. Be sure to visit WinnieAnderson.com to become a fan of the show and to check out the free information and free resources that are available there. And remember, you're worthy of all the success you dream of.